history. Bad history. Mm-hmm. Toasty. My name is Steven, and I am joined, as always, every single week by my esteemed colleague, Dave. What's going on, Dave? Not much, Steven. What's going on? Uh, not too much. You know, the same old, same old. The huge. The huge? Yeah. So, um, so welcome back. We are uh, fresh off of, the, of our latest episode of History Hangouts. History Hangouts. History Hangouts, uh, which was awesome to record. We really hope that you guys enjoyed it. Um, we always really like recording those. They're a lot of fun, um, and uh, and I mean they're they're you know they're always they're always pretty cool. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, but as I was listening to it, <laughs> I, have, I have a few notes. I have a few notes. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm listening to the introduction part, and I'm like, did we talk about Bastille Day? And then I realized we didn't talk about Bastille Day. <laughs> yeah, we did. No, we didn't. We did not mention Bastille Day at all. Oh, you know what? I mentioned July 14th, 1789. Right, we didn't mention the actual like <laughs> official start to the French Revolution, did we? No, we kind of we uh, suck. We, we, we suck. yeah we kind of uh, uh, jumped the shark a little Trouble. bit, didn't we? And also, th- there was a little uh, like an audio mix-up, I announced that this week we're doing Famous Couples, and for some reason, there's some weird fucking, like, skipping It says I'm doing right. John and Jane Adams. Right. No, 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 it's right. Abigail right, Adams. Yeah. I, don't know, I, it, I don't know what that it, was about. It, it, it's it's, it's re- weird that, you know, that kind of just happened, right? Right, like some static some, some, and, like, four glasses of wine. And, some weird audio something. Yeah, some we'll just shit. chalk it up to audio. You know why I call them John and Jane? What? Because I'm an idiot. <laughs> it happens, man. Listen, do you know any John and Janes? How many? T- hey, hey, easy, hey. easy, hey. easy. Hey. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you know how many times I've said World War Two and I meant to say World War One? It's all like right. we all make mistakes. every time. Yeah, it happens. We all make mistakes. It happens. We're not trying. To be like up on our giving a completely Chicago style cited paper here. Right. This is the- shooting the shit, telling stories right. to friends. Right. And a lot of you appreciate that. And we appreciate that you appreciate that. Oh, for sure. So, because I, I, I've heard it a couple times. Have you? I've heard it a couple times how we make mistakes. <laughs> and somebody laid into me that it's not John and Jane Adams. And I was like, listen, in the moment, you just say shit sometimes. Wait, someone laid into you about that? Somebody laid into me about that. A listener. Ooh. And I and I appreciate it. Tell us when we're wrong. Right? That's good. That's good stuff. We need to know when we mess up. But uh, just also have like a little more, you know, sympathy, guys. Right, exactly. Because what was definitely, you know, just a little slip up. Right. A little slip up. Right. Right. But anyway. Right. That said, History Hangouts are super successful. We don't get to do it enough. We've only done three of them. Yeah, and you know, and, and I think that's okay, you know, because every time that we do release one, it feels very special to me. Oh, it feels so and special. And you know what, dude? Someone called our production quality really good today. Oh, on the History Hangout? Um, uh, yeah, on the, on the History Hangout, it was a Reddit comment. Um, oh, that's great. And they, that's And nice. they said, really, really good uh, production content. No, let, there were birds chirping in the background. Let, let me read the exact quote. There was wind. Right. Great production, guys. Very funny. Is that it? That was it. I mean, that was the comment, but still. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good shit, I guess. Right. <laughs> right, I think so. Anyway, this week we're doing famous historical couples as requested by one of the hosts of Movie Date Podcast. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. But before we kind of jump into that bucket of syrup, Dave, you got to tell me, I got to know, how's your week been going? My week was super travel this week. So, um, right. Cat had. Uh, okay, so we've said it like a million times, and I've been awkward about it. So, uh, Kat is my girlfriend. We live together <gasps> in Indiana. She Dave, is the I one who no was the idea. guest on the podcast. She wasn't a guest because she was my girlfriend. She was a guest because she's a PhD student in classical studies. Dave, I had no um, idea. When were you planning on telling me? Anyway, I've been trying to tiptoe around it, but it's just, it's been a pain in the ass. 
So there's that. Kat and I, uh, we went home for my sister's engagement party to, we went to Charleston and we drove from Indiana to South Carolina and then we drove to see her family in North Carolina and then we drove back to Indiana two days ago and, uh, it was a long ass drive. It was a long ass trip and we are glad to be home, but it was super fun. I got to see you. We recorded oh, yes. the history hangout. Oh yes. Um, saw my family. I saw her family. I love everyone in that group of people. Um, and then we vegged hardcore because we were not, we were exhausted. It's yeah, like a 15 hour drive most of the time. And, um, so we've been watching lots of movies. Uh, we watched the first Underworld. We watched Euro Trip. Which oh, is nice. So underrated. Euro Trip's hilarious. Uh, we've been watching, we've been continuing James Bond month. We are done with Connery. Oh, wow. And nice job. Are, yeah. So we're moving on to more. And, uh, Raja Moore. Raja Moore. We did the one, uh, Lazenby movie, but he only did one. And then Sean Connery did one after him, so it's like, fucking whatever. That guy sucks. Yeah. But it's been pretty good. I've been playing a lot of Red Dead Redemption. Nice. nice. Uh, we talked about that before. And, uh, that's pretty much it. I've just been chilling hard style. Underwear, no shirt, on the couch. Right. Leg, leg like, kind of propped up. Leg kind of propped up. There's, like, a food on my chest that I'm picking up and eating. I want you to imagine uh, the guy from Make Love Not Warcraft. <laughs> that's been me this these last few days. Tight. It's been pretty good. Tight. Steven. Yeah. Have you seen any good movies lately or read any good books or even played any good video games? Um. Yeah. So, actually... Uh, I have something to add to the video game thing. For once in a let's do it. For 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 once in 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 a few episodes, I feel like um my schedule like the past month. I don't think I talk about how busy I am enough. Just kidding. I do that like every episode. But every episode. But like I really, honest to God, March was like I knew going in how busy March was going to be. But like when you're in the fucking heat of it, it, it oh my god, it was it was insane. But March was crazy busy, but I'm, like, coming off of that. Um, honestly, after April 4th, April 4th is when my comprehensive exam is due for, my ma- for like, my uh, master's degree. And after me, ma- yeah, yeah, yeah. Honest, honest, God, it's incredible. And after April 4th, I'll be done, pretty much. I have, like, two weeks left of student teaching after that, but then I'll be done, um, which is really cool. But And then you're just looking for jobs yeah, for the next semester? On that job search, you know what I mean, my dude? Right uh, but so, so I've actually had some free time this past weekend, which was really cool. I had some good friend of m- friends of mine come down from North Carolina and, uh, St. Patty's day is pretty huge in Columbia. They have a pretty big festival and yeah. we went to that on Saturday and that was a lot of fun. I got to see some really good bands play, uh, <laughs> shovels and rope played and shovels and rope is a relatively big band out of Charleston. So I got to see them and they were killer. Um, on Sunday, Borderlands, the pre-sequel, which is like the third Borderlands, was on sale for like five bucks on Steam. And oh, you got yeah, it? and I was like, I'm gonna pick that shit up. So I nice. so I picked up Borderlands, the pre-sequel, and I had a little bit of time yesterday to play it. So I played it for about an hour, hour and a half, and it's really fun. I'm really, really liking it. I didn't like it at first, but I'm really enjoying it now. So well, Borderlands is like super fun. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good, and like I played the absolute shit out of the first two, and so yeah. it's cool to have like my hands on a new one. Um, I played a lot of Borderlands one, and then I yeah. bought Borderlands two when it came out, and like barely touched it. Yeah. I think I was done with shooters around that time, right. but I, I love the world and the aesthetic and the art style and everything. Yeah. It's very cool. And it's, it's like, it's, you know, it's my fate and we'll, we'll talk about this later, but, um, but I, I really, I'm really liking it. I'm really enjoying it. So that's kind of, um, been what I've been doing. Uh, sweet actual shit to report actually, from Steve. Yeah, man. It's not just like me being like, Oh yeah. Student teaching. <laughs> Uh, it's awful. Yeah, I want to die. That, that's pretty much been like my response to the last few weeks. But I actually have like I actually did shit. I had time to do shit. Should we move on to the actual content? Yeah. Just, uh, why don't we uh, drop the needle on that that music? What do you think? Yeah. 
Okay, Steven. Yes. The power couple <laughs> that I chose to talk about today yeah. is John and Abigail Adams. Are you sure not John and Jane Adams? I'm sure it's not John and Jane <laughs> I'm Adams. Just I'm just clarifying. Sure. You need, we need to clarify because some idiot apparently grabbed the mic from me last right, time. Right, right. And said that. And I said, hey, get out of here, you idiot. And he said, ha But all of that was, was lost in editing. Right, right. I don't know. We, we, but anyway. We, we kind of messed with that in post. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, we, but we couldn't fucking mess with me making that mistake, could we, Stan? Don't no, worry about couldn't. it, Dave. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so John and Abigail Adams. Everybody knows John Adams. Um, he's the second president and first vice president of the United States. He was a leader during the uh, movement of American independence from Britain. Mm-hmm. He was a lawyer and a public figure in Boston before and during the war. He was the Massachusetts representative at the Continental Congress, foreign ambassador to France during the American War of Independence, uh, co-writer and editor of the Declaration of Independence. John Adams is the man. He did a lot. Right? He did a lot. He is solidly in the founding fathers oh, pantheon hardcore. of the United States. Hardcore. Right. Like, if there was only five, he would be in it. If there was only three, he would be in yeah. it. Yeah. You know? He's he's super duper important. Um, he's an American statesman, and he's really the embodiment of the new American man to come out of like this post British America. He is the embodiment of what American men should be mm-hmm. based on the founding principles of the United States, right? Yeah. And he marries this cutie patootie, mm, cute pie. Named Abigail Smith, right? Mm-hmm. She becomes, of course, Abigail Adams. She is the first second lady and the second first lady to the United States. And she has a, a lot going on for her as well. She helped document the American independence mm-hmm. through her correspondences with John. She was a strong advocate of women's rights, including property and education. She was very anti-slavery. And pro-equality. And uh, so hardcore, actually, that she questioned the motives, sort of publicly, of the Virginians during the American War of Independence. Uh, She doubted their passion for liberty because they had so many slaves. Uh, She was a brave and dedicated mother, most of all. And this embodied the new American woman. Mm -hmm. So you kind of see where I'm going with this. How John and Abigail Adams... They were the quintessential new American man and woman, husband and wife. Right. And, and, you know, what they held true, their characteristics, would be what, you know, we would strive for. Mm Mm-hmm. So, John was constantly keeping correspondence with Abigail Mm -hmm. while he was away from home, right? Yeah. Uh, The Adams Family Papers Archive, which is the super cool internet archive, contains... 1,160 letters between the two. That's crazy. And these letters reveal that not only were the two madly in love, but they thought of each other as intellectual equals. Oh, that's awesome. These are, these are two sort of revolutionary ideas for a man and a woman in the late 1700s. First of all, the fact that they were desperately in love, right? Mm-hmm. Marriage back then, especially among the more intellectual or uh, the the budding middle class, I guess, is, is really political and economic in nature. You know, you, you didn't usually marry out of love. It was usually arranged. Right. But these two were head over heels in love with each other. And as for thinking of each other as intellectual equals, that's something that wasn't popular and wouldn't be popular until the modern feminist movement of the 1970s do you know what i mean yeah that the language they use to talk to each other is expressly how you would talk to an equal a colleague yeah you know uh and and this is reflected 
in these letters because John relies heavily on Abigail for counseling and, you know, for notes on his public speeches. He was a defending lawyer. A lot of people don't know this. John was the defending lawyer for the British soldiers involved in the Boston Massacre. Yeah, that and that's like crazy important. Right? Yeah. And um, Abigail actually acted as his counsel while he was preparing for the trial. And she would edit his speeches for him. And wow. that's like insane to think about. Right. Because John Adams is known as this amazing orator. You know, he edited the Declaration of Independence. Um, and she was always with him because you always need a second pair of eyes. Yeah. And uh, she was always keeping him in check. Uh, but later on in life, while John had to leave uh, his home to attend the Continental Congresses, he kept in touch with his wife. And, and on that um, that website I mentioned, the Adams Family Papers Archives, the Adams Family, <laughs> the Adams Family Paper Archive, there are 339 extant letters between the two that take place specifically during the Continental Congresses. And these are really important um, because these letters contain news of the family in Massachusetts as well as news from the Congress. And uh, John openly discusses the affairs of the Congress and his frustrations with its shortcomings. And, you know, she offers him counsel and advice, but these letters are super secret and they're super classified, right? This is something that you would not want anyone getting their hands on because he's revealing delicate information on essentially treasonous acts. But he's willing to to courier them all the way from Philadelphia to Massachusetts because they trust each other this much and he relied on her counsel so much. Um, On the nature of them being considered intellectual equals, uh, the content of these letters is varying, but the language is super interesting. A lot of times it can be sort of overly romantic and kind of mushy, but it's also extremely scholarly where both of them are using quotations and humor from uh, literary figures. And uh, a historian, Joseph Ellis, claims that the letters between the two constituted a treasure trove of unexpected intimacy and candor, more revealing than any other correspondence between a prominent American husband and wife in American history. So as primary sources, these correspondences are so valuable Mm -hmm. to the study of American history at this time. It shows how intellectual families would communicate. And honestly, it, it even they're even some of the only records of specific events, right? Mm-hmm. So history books are often citing these. Um, Joseph Ellis also claims uh, that despite being self-educated, that uh, Abigail was a better writer than John, despite wow. his reputation as one of the greatest writers of the time. Um, and these correspond these correspondences uh, they punctuate the daily life of her family during the early stages of the war. Mm-hmm. And this really shows the character and strength of Abigail Adams. Um, she's waking up to war drums and gunfire right. weekly. There's smallpox outbreaks. And we all know, <laughs> we all know, we all know how that goes. We all know how that goes. She helps wounded soldiers. She even has to make sort of life and death decisions for her family. And, she has them treated for smallpox. And back in the day, the way to do this was to purposefully infect yourself with smallpox. Which yeah, is yeah, yeah. fucking a crazy decision to make. Uh, and in the letters, you read that John is stricken from his duties in the family and it, it tears him apart. He ends one letter with kiss all the little ones that I love. But he endures it for his country, and the entire time, Abigail encourages him and takes the brunt of the work. And and this is really the epitome of America's husband and wife, America's mother and father, America's man and woman, this new America. He was an Enlightenment scholar and a diplomat. He was well-educated, and he was of this new middle class, right? Mm Mm-hmm. He didn't have a title, but he had worked hard to gain what he had. He was politically active, yet 
he believed in reason over emotion. John Adams, uh, you know, he, he was famously cousins with Samuel Adams, leader of the Sons of Liberty. And they were a more radical, freedom-fighting group. And John would be constantly dragged into their affairs by his relation. But he was calm and collected, and he always offered reason as opposed to reaction. And that's why even though he defended the soldiers of the Boston Massacre, he was still selected to be a Massachusetts representative to the Continental Congresses. Um, He is really the embodiment of the new government. Mm Mm-hmm. And what every man of the new government sought to be. While Abigail took control of her house during times of difficulty. She made decisions that threatened the lives of her family. She was supportive to her husband, but also directive. And she was very much involved in both her domestic life and the life of the country. Some lawmakers remarked that Abigail Adams was there during the first two Continental Congresses. She was in the room. Wow through John's speeches because they had so much editing together. They respected each other intellectually and they loved each other. This is so important and it seems so mundane, but you talk about historical couples and powerful historical couples and they just don't love each other. They just don't have that relationship. This is a world where marriage is entirely political, but we have surviving letters between the two of courtship from John to Abigail And they're really romantic and poetic. They refer to each other (laughs) and they they make references to Greek and Roman romances. This feels kind of creepy that we're going through their love letters, but uh, they refer to each other as... They knew what they were doing. They knew what they were getting into. (laughs) They refer to each other as Lysander and Diana, and Lysander being a famous Spartan admiral. And uh, Diana being the goddess of the moon in Roman mythology. So, sort of cringy, sort of, uh, you know, mushy, mushy love stuff. But that's what makes it so important. Yeah. And without any of these letters surviving, we wouldn't possibly know of the extent, you know, of their relationship. Right. And and sort of how beautiful and unique it was. Sadly, Abigail died uh, a little bit before... John did, but she she died of typhoid fever. But they're buried beside each other in Massachusetts. Oh, it's lovely. And, um, yeah, they they were loving to the end. And and despite how you take this, her last words were to John. She said, "Do not grieve, my friend, my dearest friend. I am ready to go." And John, it will not be long, because they both believed that they would be together forever. Yeah. And um. And and they you know. He, he died almost 10 years later, so <laughs> she was wrong. Yeah, but, well, <laughs> you know, whatever close. you believe, they believed that they'd be together forever because they were so in love. Oh, that's and, beautiful. Uh, yeah, and it, it's like a little mushy and it's a little dumb. It's a little uh, not my normal fare. But I think John and Abigail Adams, they're, they're sort of a presidential duo, Mm-hmm. More so than any other presidential duo. You know, you remember specific first ladies because they were first ladies. Yeah, for sure. You know, you remember Barbara Bush because, you know, she was Bush's wife and stuff. Yeah. And you remember Nancy Reagan because she was Nancy Reagan. And, but there's like a few, a very select few um, presidential wives who their own history is unique and interesting. Right. Like Eleanor sure. Roosevelt. Uh, yeah, I was going to say but, Eleanor Roosevelt's a huge one. But definitely Abigail Adams sort of stands above all the rest because her relationship with her husband was something that no woman could really hope for until well into the 20th century. Right. And this was in the mid to late 1700s. And and just by the language... And, and I keep mentioning these letters, but it's really all we have... But saying all it's all we have is giving it such a shortcoming because we have almost 1,200 yeah. letters between these two, which just goes to show their, their level of, you know, commitment and uh, respect for each other. And we say John Adams is the one of the giants of early American history. Sure. He founded this country. He created the law system. He was the second 
president of the United States, the first vice president. And he couldn't have done any of it. And he acknowledges that he couldn't have done any of it without his wife, Abigail, the whole way, just pushing him and keeping him in check. And uh, I know it's not 100% historically accurate, but I think the representation is very well done. Yep. If anybody has seen, yeah, you know what I'm going to talk <laughs> yep. about, the HBO show John Adams, oh, especially so the earlier good. episodes. It's so good. It really goes into their sort of equality in their relationship, how they act around each other, how sometimes he's forced to do these things he doesn't want or he can't, and she's always there telling him how or what he should do or giving him counsel and sort of editing his his work and you think John Adams needed an editor John Adams right, right. is maybe the greatest orator in early american history he convinced all of the the colonies to go to war pretty much yeah know, but but he had his wife do it with him right. and that's why i think they're a huge uh historical couple and they're my favorite historical couple because they're so mushy lovey and uh this is like you know, we, we said we weren't going to talk about Ferdinand and Isabella. And they always say that the first big political couple that were truly in love mm-hmm. w- was them. And they're like the ones held up. But John and Abigail Adams were so freaking in love. Like yeah. reading some of their letters yeah. is cringy. And I feel bad. Yeah, I hope John is. Adams is like in his grave like no 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 what are you doing no he's he's like got attachments you know like the ye old dick pic <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, <shit>. whatever <laughs> you do don't open that one up whatever you, you do don't open... <laughs> uh, but you know like they raised they raised a son who went on to become president yeah. as well good old quincy adams and uh yeah and, and the thing is is that boy grew up without his father yeah you know he was away at the continental congresses or he you know he was an ambassador to france during the revolution and he met with king george afterward and so this boy who became president was pretty much raised in the shadow of his father but under the tutelage of his mother and it was enough you know right not only was it enough but he was like a pretty successful guy on his own right and he, you know, thanks to Abigail for that. So that's John and Abigail Adams. They're a super powerful couple. Go watch John Adams on HBO. It's yeah. the shit. Go to that archive. It's the Adams Family Paper Archive. Um, it is www.massishist.org hyphen digital Adams hyphen archive. And then you will have all the letters that we have completely transcribed. And it is a huge archive and it's super valuable and go use it and don't be a jerk. And that was my story. Damn, dude. Good freaking scrolls. That was, Oh, we're bringing it back. We're bringing it back. We're taking it back. We're taking it back. Uh, but <laughs> good scrolls, man. Yeah, Thanks dude. so much. Yeah, man. That was music to my ears. That was really, really good. I enjoyed that. And I think, um, my, my story is a little bit different. But uh, before I get on that, I want to say, yeah, like, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. And I think, you know, like, what is the quote, like behind every great man, there's an even better woman or something like that. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. which I think, you know, is, is certainly true here that Abigail is, uh, you know, cause I, I think, I think we were talking about the documentary and, um, it does a really good job of kind of portraying, I mean, first of all, Paul Giamatti is like incredible amazing he's yeah. perfect yeah and like it's just like showing how like uncertain he is and how like rock steady abigail is and being like listen dog this is what you got to do and so and, and yeah and he like totally is down for that and, and right. then you see the scenes of her struggling with one with him not home right and she does not she does not bother him with that you know what i mean like she understands that what he's doing is so important and in these letters you know she's giving recounts of what she has done and she doesn't Mm -hmm. ask for for guidance or permission she takes charge of her family Mm -hmm. yes her daughter gets smallpox but yes they all survive from smallpox right major outbreak you know yeah i mean that's super impressive yeah no she's she's i mean she's incredible and i think 
kind of the whole story is just really incredible. Like they're, I mean, they, they are like the team, you know, they are the team. Yeah. And, And we were mentioning like other, uh, presidential husbands and wives, you know, Mm -hmm. um, especially Eleanor Roosevelt, right? who was like this huge woman's rights leader. And, um, actually I wasn't going to talk about this, but I found this really interesting conversation, uh, between John and Abigail. They argue about the nature of women's rights post independence, where Abigail says that, when they're rewriting the constitution or writing a new constitution to, you know, take into account women's, uh, like activities and stuff, you know, you have to, uh, realize that women are a big deal in this new world. And she says, remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. Do not put such unlimited power into the hands of husbands. Remember, all men would be tyrants if they could. If particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies, we are determined to ferment a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice or representation. So it's like this super... Oh, dude, um, I just got like chills. The super feminist women's rights kind of call to her husband and they they sort of disagree on this issue in a really interesting way. So John responds that he declines her sort of uh you know her exclamations but says to her we have only the name of masters and rather than give up this which would completely subject us to the despotism of the petticoat I hope General Washington and all our brave heroes would fight. And how he boils it down is these are men fighting this war mm-hmm. and the men are going to make the rules. And it's sort of an interesting rebuttal because he's almost advocating if women want that same change, then they should join the military and fight too, which I'm sure she would have been very... Like, uh, you know, advocate like cool with. Yeah. 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 But they're both like in a, in a different world, you know, in a world where you can't say these things or act in these ways. But just the, the, you know, those were direct quotes. And, and just in the nature of the language, you can tell how they really sought equality in their intellectual relationship. And they, they challenged each other and they debated. And they really did think of each other as, you know, equals. And it's really inspiring, especially for the time. Right. No, that's so. really, really cool. And uh it's interesting, you know, drawing comparisons between Eleanor Roosevelt and um and Abigail Adams. Because I think I think Abigail I mean not Abigail, I think Eleanor Roosevelt in a lot of ways was kind of in the same boat where you have a husband who is very good at what he does and has yeah to kind of address the nation in a time of great need and struggle. And I mean, I mean the, the great depression and the world war two were both, you know, turning points. I feel like for American history, where this was what was deciding how we would be for the rest of our, you know, history and much like the, the end of the war of independence and which we addressed in history hangouts was not a revolution. It was a war of independence. Um, it's so hard to do that. Yeah, by the yeah, way. yeah. Like every time I wanted to say American Revolution, but I couldn't. But we, but we can't. <laughs> um, so, and I think with also, you know, uh, with Theodore Roosevelt's obvious disability, the fact that he he had um, polio as a child and he his legs were not in great shape, and so I think you know in that instance, he, he would he have been as effective if he didn't have such a strong wife. I think no. I, think yeah, I would say no. You I would need say no. that support. Right, exactly. And, and both of them were, you know, not just extraordinary women or extraordinary wives, but they were extraordinary people. I think, and, I think that's the biggest point. Yeah, and the circumstances yeah. of their gender, you know, inhibited them from possibly making, you know, equally great change as their husbands. Right. But they, they did, they accepted that and they understood the context of that. And they worked with what they had, and what they did was still remarkable by any, you know, stretch of the imagination. Right. So. Right. Exactly. And I mean, I think I hope you did not do 
Eleanor Roosevelt. No, no, no. And, and I, Franklin I was, Roosevelt. I, I, I was, I was going to, and then I was like, nah, that would be lame because we can draw so many parallels that it would have been too yeah. easy. Um, cool, man. Well, should we move on to my power couple? All right, cool. Let's play the music, dude. All right, Dave. Yo. So the historical power couple that I am going to be talking about today is Pocahontas and John Rolf. Dang. Ah, I know. Um, I was like, Mel Gibson? I know. Uh, (laughs) Opposed to what Disney will have you believe... Pocahontas never married or had any real relationship of that nature with John Smith. Um, she got married and was madly in love with John Rolfe. And so I'll, I'm going to talk about kind of their relationship and um, kind of the implications it had kind of like on that the history of that time period. So Pocahontas, who was her, her that was not her given name her her birth name it was a nickname given to her um i her her real name and i'm probably going to mispronounce this um her her real name is amanute i think or amanut it's o a m o n u t e i mean you know like give us like we're trying guys right. like, these are not our areas of expertise yeah, and we're not we're at real all sorry <laughs> um we're real sorry right yeah so i i'm going to say amanut uh, but I'm still going to call her Pocahontas because it's just kind of easier. But she was a real person, a real honest to god person. Uh, her, her, <laughs> yeah, her. Uh, the main time period her story takes place in is, is 1607 uh, to to the uh, like 1620s ish. So, uh, but 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 her story is very different than kind of the Disney adaptation that would Disney would have you believe. Uh, she ends up marrying this guy named John Rolfe in 1614. That's the guy who she marries. And in the second Pocahontas movie, she does marry John Rolfe. And I think them, that's them trying to be like, yeah, we know, we know. But uh, but John but John Smith, he was a real ass dude. This guy actually existed. And he was very important to the Pocahontas story, uh, which I'm going to kind of tell more than the Pocahontas and John Rolfe story. But I'm going to kind of explain there why I think they're a really good uh, historical couple, but I kind of want to explain, lay out the kind of the, the groundwork for them as a couple. Yeah, go for um, it. So John Smith, he, he, he was a real person. He came to Jamestown in 1606, 1607 around there. The, the dates we have aren't great. I mean, and that's just because we have very loose kind of uh, sources to go off. Really for this, we have John Smith's journal. That's the biggest source that we had to go off of. Uh, so Smith uh, and a hundred other settlers land along the James River and found, find uh, Jamestown, which is what eventually become the first permanent English colony. There were several several other colonies before this, but none of them were permanent. Jamestown's still a, you can go to Jamestown now; it's a living place. Uh, it's 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 yeah, it's it's still there. It's still there. We promise. But so this is the first first uh, British settlement, and. Uh, it almost kind of went under, and the reason it did it was in large part due to Pocahontas, which I'll talk about here in a second. So they get there, and things sucked like really bad for a really long time. For almost that whole yeah. first year, there was disease, <laughs> famine, Indian tax. It was just really bad. So in December of 1607, Smith and a few other uh, uh, James James Jamestonians were captured by um, by Powhatan Indians Indians. And uh, they're 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 kind of uh, taken to the chief, and there's kind of some debate about what happens next. Uh, what we know for sure is that the colleagues of John Smith are killed. Um, and the popular story, Shit. yeah, the popular <laughs> story kind of goes. I mean, like these Indians aren't fucking around. These are <laughs> these, these are people that are coming in with advanced technology that they've never fucking seen before. And they're going around just saying like, "Yeah, this this is ours now." I think. So and the Indians are are not, are not fucking around. Um, they're not. Fucking yeah, around. and so the the popular story goes that the that the the chief of the Powhatan tribe, and they're, he's just kind of called Powhatan chief. He he has John Smith. He he spares his life for some reason, and he's invited to a feast. And at this feast, uh, he's kind of taken and held down. And they the, the the chief holds up this big like hammer, it's this big hammer kind of stone Slot. axe looking thing, and 
the you know john smith thinks oh shit i'm about to get bashed in the fucking head and right before <laughs> powhatan chief does this pocahontas who is his daughter his his young daughter comes in and gets in the way between them savage yeah <laughs> right right and uh stopping and saying you know spare spare the life of john smith and so this is what John Smith says happened. Um, like we said, it's hard. It, but John Smith was a liar. Yeah, John John Smith was a was a uh, was a liar and uh, and a thief. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. But we, we no, we've read the uh, diary of John Smith. And yeah, it's, some of it is just bullshit. Yeah, a, a lot of it. A lot of it is very exaggerated. And so, in reality, they pro- probably wasn't this dramatic. What probably happened? This is what a lot of historians think happened. Is that Yes, he was held down. Was there a hammer involved? There might have been a hammer involved. But they had they there was no intention of them actually killing John Smith. What they were doing was they were kind of trying to figure out what his intentions were. Because he was he would eventually become the leader of Jamestown, but he was a leader of sorts. And so they kind of just wanted to see what was going on, what he was planning on doing. And Pocahontas going in and stopping her father from killing him was all part of the plan. So that's kind of the accepted truth is that it wasn't as dramatic, and Pocahontas was always going to stop it. Okay. Um. So moving on. So Pocahontas, you know, they 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 kind of build a relationship. Pocahontas and the the Powhatan tribe and Jamestown build a relationship, and Pocahontas is almost an emissary for her tribe between Jamestown. And in fact, she goes on to save John Smith's life another time. This is later on. This is I think this is a few months to a year down the road. They've kind of got this loose friendship the the indians help them out uh and you know the jamestown kind of just does whatever it doesn't really have anything to offer to the indians um of any substantial value but the john smith who is eventually is the leader of jamestown is having uh is, is having negotiations with the chief the palatine chief and Things get really sour really quickly, and the whole Palatine tribe just kind of goes off into the woods. And Pocahontas later that night goes up to John Smith, finds him, and says, "Hey, my dad wants to come kill you. My dad's planning on coming to kill you." <laughs> and so John Smith is like, "By the way, yeah, really." And and John Smith is like, "Oh shit! Thanks for the heads up," and saves saves his life because he knows it's coming now. And like they kind of defend themselves, and I, I don't think anything actually happens, you know that. But they 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 have like the defenses up, and so, um. In 1609, John Smith bails from Jamestown because of uh, there's like this this explosion that happens by with a powder keg, and he gets injured and he gets sent back to England because of those injuries in 1609. And Pocahontas doesn't really see John Smith again for a while. Uh, she, in fact, what happens is uh, she her tribe is told that on the way back to England, John Smith dies. And that's kind of what she thinks. She thinks John Smith dies. And she's really upset by this because John Smith, I mean, was an important figure in her life. They didn't have the sexual kind of relationship that Disney, like, kind of perceived. But they they had kind of this this bond. And she actually ends up running into him a few years later in England. Uh, this is when she's there with her husband, John Rolfe. And she sees him, or, or he, he hears that she's there, and she spots her ex on the sidewalk, just he, looks down. Yeah, exactly. Just kind of walk by. Just kind of shuffles away. But he <laughs> he 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 visits her, and she's. It's described that she's like has to turn away because she gets so emotional. And um, she's like, I thought you were dead, and like it's really upset. She's like, I thought you were dead. Like like we were told you were dead. And she, John Smith says, um, like you know that like they all lied to you and all this stuff. And in fact, um, she calls him father. She calls John Smith father because John Smith called her father father. That was kind of the relationship they had. And he she kind of saw him as a father figure. And he get, and he says, you know, don't call me that. And she gets kind of really upset by that. And it's like, if you called my father that, why can't I call you that? And so um, that's kind of the relationship they had was this kind of father daughter-esque sort of relationship where he, he, he's, he saw her more... You know, who knows how he saw her? Um, it's yeah. hard to say, but she definitely saw him as more of a kind of paternal uh, guiding figure. Uh, so gotcha. that that's the relationship with John Smith. But the relationship with John Rolfe is kind of more clear-cut and dry. 
So in 1610, John Rolfe comes to Jamestown, and he comes to Jamestown from England, and he does something very, very important. He brings tobacco to Virginia, to the what? area of Virginia. Yeah, he is, he is credited with the first tobacco farm in the area and the, this Smoke is it up. yeah this is hugely important for the for you know this is a huge cash crop for not only virginia but the whole entire south uh so so 3 years later in 1613 pocahontas is kidnapped pocahontas um pretty much she gets tricked to, into going on on a ship uh with with some other palatin indians and they don't let her leave, pretty much, and say, you know, we're holding you for ransom until we can strike a deal with your father. And she's, it's kind of, there's debate on who takes care of her, but she's taken care of, and she's treated more like a guest and less like a captive. And so while she's there, she learns English, she or she learns better English. She learns the ways of, like, the, the British. She learns about Christianity. She actually converts to Christianity and is renamed Rebecca. Um, but also more importantly, she falls madly in love with John Rolfe and John Rolfe falls madly in love with her. And John Rolfe is, John Rolfe is about 10 years, her senior. And again, it's hard to say just how old she is. Uh, there's reports that she's 19 at this time. There's reports that she's 16 at this time. Um, but, but she's around that age. So mid to late teenage age and John Rolfe is probably in his late twenties. Um, but about 10 years her senior and they fall in love and they, 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 you know, uh, a bargain is reached be- between, uh, her father and the, and Jamestown. And she pretty much tells her father that I'm not leaving. She said, she, she oh, tells her no. father, I'm, I'm staying here with John Rolfe and you don't some, understand me, dad. Yeah, you you just don't get me dad, dad, God, dad. Uh, but her, her dad kind of accepts and says okay and the reason that he does this is the reason why i think their marriage is so important so while the the marriage the, the marriage was important not just because it was like kind of a testament to love and all this stuff and you know the, you know like like there certainly is that disney-esque quality to, to their marriage right that's it's an englander and an indian and they fall in kind of love it's not forced it's not arranged it's you know this pure organic thing which i think take that for what what it is i think you know it's it adds something to the story but besides that it served as an alliance builder between the two groups of people you know think of it almost like a king marrying a princess or a prince marrying a princess and they form an alliance between the two this happens. This certainly, definitely happens between the people of Jamestown and the Palatine Indians. It's, they they called it the Pocahontas Alliance, hmm. and it was really important. I mean, it was it was a prominent member of the Palatine Indians and a prominent member of Jamestown getting married and forming a bond, and all of a sudden they had a common connection, and all of a sudden they had you know this relationship that they can kind of build off of, and it doesn't last that long it lasts for a few years and eventually things start to kind of fall apart um and but but still it's i think it was this this very important relationship to help um i mean if you want to look at it a broader scope of history to help kind of make sure that jamestown survived because jamestown almost ate it a bunch almost almost didn't make it a few times the palatine indians are a huge reason why they survived. They brought them food. They taught them hunting techniques and fishing techniques and farming techniques. I mean, you name it. The, the, and you see this narrative throughout uh, this kind of early early uh, colonization of the New World. But I think this is a hugely important relationship. Um, besides the fact that it was this organic love between a Powhatan Indian and a, a prominent member of Jamestown. Uh, so they decide to stay in Virginia for another two years. And in 1615, their first child is born. Um, and their first child, Aww. Thomas, Thomas Rolf. And so you have Pocahontas, who is now Rebecca Rolf. Uh, you, you have, uh, John Rolf and Thomas Rolf. And so, uh, in 1616, they decide to head to England. And, um, I've, I've kind of read this a few different ways. Well, 
what happened is they go to England and they bring, uh, a, a, you know, kind of a posse of Palatine Indians with them. And when they get to England, they're kind of paraded around. That's kind yeah. of how I interpreted it. And it, it really, it kind of like, I kind of, you know, had like this, this, this cringe while I was reading it. And it, I mean, it, it kind of like pissed me off a little bit. This is a cringy episode. Yeah. And it was like, you know, the fact that, that, that she, she was pretty much paraded around to the noble, the, 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 the nobility of England. She even sat with the King of England and, I, I have to believe that it was less of let me hear what you have to say about your people and less like and more of like look at this person who looks way different than us but is kind of dressed like us. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And so and so in that instance it's kind of fucked up how they handled it. <laughs> and I mean like yeah. you know, and it's 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 you see Would you expect anything else though? I you know, you really wouldn't, and that's like the shitty thing. And there's this there's I'll, I'm gonna do it tangent real quick but when england was kind of uh colonizing south africa there's this story of and i could i wish i could remember more details of this but it was this woman who uh they brought from africa to england and or i'm pretty sure it was either england or france um but they brought them to europe and was just paraded around and it's oh, yeah, it's yeah, this yeah, really yeah. kind of it's this really kind of sick story. I don't know. I those things like they just ugh. anyway. Um, but you can't really blame them when they decide that they're kind of done with England and that they're. Are you hit. thinking of Sarah Bartman? Yes. Okay, I was like, that sounds kind of like Sarah Bartman, but yeah, 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 yeah. I, so for the people who don't know the Sarah Bartman story, do you want me to tell go it? For it? Yeah, why not? Okay, so like, um. Sarah Bartman, uh, she was this native African woman, uh, and she was really famous uh, around the turn of the 19th century. She was taken from her home, which I believe was in South Africa. I'm um, I'm almost positive it was in South Africa. Yeah, and and her name wasn't really Sarah Bartman, but that's like the name that they they gave her. And um, she had like these huge, uh, like I'm not going to sugarcoat it, she had very large breasts and a very large um, butt, and she was sort of seen as a physical oddity and right. an extreme example of the almost fetishization of the African people. I mean, I, I think I think that's exactly what it was. Was yeah, was a definitely. fetishization, and uh, she was you know paraded around her life around uh, Europe for the rest of her life in sort of like human zoos, you know, around the world, and and. Her life was kind of, you know, sort of sad, but... Uh, I mean, it's, like, really some, sad. Yeah, so but, like, really, really sick. I actually... Um, when she died, I, I know they displayed her <laughs> remains in, the, in Paris at a museum um, for, like, over a hundred years. Like, yeah. she... Like, you could go to the museum and see her body... Not too long ago, before Paris was like, "Oh, this is just too fucking racist." Yeah, and then they like buried her, like they should have. But she, she was like this icon of African sort of, um, you know, like almost bestial qualities, and uh, it's p- fucked up. And that's what they were doing with the Native Americans, what they were doing with Pocahontas, and uh, yeah, you fuck you up. <laughs> it's pretty bad, um, but. So they decide to, they decide, you know, you can't really blame them when they decide that they want to head back to Virginia. And so they're, they're packing their things and they're getting their stuff together, head back. And Pocahontas, um, becomes seriously ill. Yeah. And it's, and she, she dies shortly before they decide to head back to Virginia. And it's not sure exactly what she died from. Some people say, uh, dysentery disease. Some people say smallpox, <laughs> like you do, uh, like you do. And some people, you know, this a host of other things. Um, so no one's really sure how she died, but she, you know, unfortunately died, uh, before she heads back to Virginia. Um, but, uh, John Rolfe mourns and then decides to kind of head back to Virginia. And he actually eventually himself gets killed by Indians in 1622. So, so shit world, so, man. <laughs> yeah. 
not not exactly a happy a happy end. Um, however, John Smith just kind of fucking kicks it in the New World for a while and explores the coast of of New England, and he's captured by pirates actually, and he's held he's held captive for three months before he escapes, and he lives until 1631. Kicks it like a bro. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I had to kind of include the closing of what happened to John Smith there. But that's my story of Pocahontas and John Rolfe. Good scrolls, bro. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. It's, it's it's a shame that, like, Pocahontas is, you know, a, an American folk hero, you know, like pre, pre-American pre uh, folk hero right and, and sort of just like all these other folk heroes we had she had like a really rough life and she it didn't end well and she was mistreated you know and uh we need to we need to find an american legend who like chilled out max and relaxed yeah who had like a good life <laughs> shoot somebody fall outside <laughs> of the school uh, oh god oh god Oh god! But uh, yeah, you know what you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we should uh, we should wrap up kind of our whole stick here. Uh, so so that so that those are our historical couples. Let us know what you think in the uh, in the comments down below. Uh, but Dave, what the hell are we doing next week? Oh my god! I have a good one. Do it. Let me hear it. Uh, this was actually given to me, and I've been mulling it over, and I've been thinking about it. But I think it's a good one, especially based on your story today, which gave me inspiration. The idea is to give a story recounting tell tale of a failed colony. Ooh. What do you think of that? I like that. I like that a lot. Um, you can't do Roanoke. You can't do Roanoke. I think that's pretty much our only stipulation yeah. is we can't do Roanoke. You can't do Roanoke, but you got to talk about a failed colony. I like it, like anywhere. The history of it, or like the, you know, the mystery of it. The history. Or mystery. Or the mystery. This week on the History Channel. I I know technically the 13 colonies are failed colonies because they gained their independence, so don't be like, you know. A dickhead? Yeah, don't be a dickhead about it. Oh, yeah. Shit. yeah, so check that out next time. I have no idea what I'm gonna do. I'm not I have no yeah. idea what I'm gonna do either. I'm not gonna do American though. No. No, I you know what? I'm gonna start making promises at the end of, of every episode. <laughs> yeah. I promised I wouldn't do medieval this week, and you know what? By damn, I didn't do um you didn't do medieval. medieval. I'm so Yeah. Out of you. Yeah, you're fucking welcome. Uh but I, I pro- I'm not going to do American. I'm going to find a, a different different trail colony to do somewhere that's not American. Sweet. Sounds good. Uh, so that sounds good. So next week it's going to be failed colonies. Check that out. Before we go, real quick, I want to talk about uh, kind of where we're at. Where we're at social media-wise. Oh, God. Are you talking you- about... Dim plugs. plugs. Dim plugs. Oh no! Everybody, turn off the podcast now. So our base of operations is bad history. Podcast.podbean.com. Check us out there. We uh, upload all of our episodes. You can follow us on there. You can comment don't. on there. All that good stuff. Don't. You can find us on iTunes. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to us there. We'll show up Why? every within. I think like ten minutes of posting it. On Podbean, it will show up in iTunes for you, just kind of automatically. Um, you can leave us a rating or review if you so choose. That'd be super cool. Uh, we're we on shouldn't. we're on Stitcher. We're uh, not on, on Sprecher. Not on Sprecher. Not on SoundCloud, unfortunately. But we're all over a bunch of other um, kind of directories. Uh, so you can find us on there. You can find us on Twitter at Bad History Cast. You can find us on Facebook. Just type in Bad History Podcast. We're on there. Um, I'm on the Twitter pretty often, you know, tweeting stupid shit. So you can find us there. Um, email us, badhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Let us know if, well, ideas for future episodes. Questions, I think it would be really cool to do like a question and answer sort of sort of history episode at some point. That'd be fun. Um, but I think that's pretty much it. Am I missing anything, Dave? No, I think that does it, Steven. So, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Happy history and good scrolls. See you later.